Welcome to Human Factors Cast, your weekly podcast for human factors, psychology, and design. What's going on, everybody? It is episode 237. We're actually pre-recording this episode on March 9th. 2022 for an air date of March 10th, and this is Human Factors Cast. I am your host, Nick Rome. I am joined today by Mr. Barry Kirby. Hey, how are you doing? <laughs> Good. I'm also joined today by a slew of technology issues. So we'll see if we can <laughs> we'll see if we yep. can slog through it today. Uh stick with us. We're, we're gonna try to get this episode. It's gonna be a ride, everybody. It's gonna be a ride. <laughs> it's gonna be fun. We got a great show for you tonight. We're gonna be talking about how to unlock creativity in the workplace through the use of human factors. And later, we're gonna answer some questions in the community about how do you know that human factors is for you? Uh, and talking also about undergraduate certificates in HCI being worth it. And also, what's the best and worst you've, X you've experienced this week? But first, we got some programming notes. Uh, I do want to go over just quickly our historical approach to um, interviews on this show, uh, Human Factors Cast. So in the past, we've kind of had our interviews focused around conferences, and I think we're still going to do that. Uh, we've also had the occasional one-off interview with somebody doing something interesting. So I know we've done like the Beeline Reader uh, interview with Nick Lum. We've also done, you know, other interviews um, about, you know, different COVID uh, methods that we can employ for communication. We've we've done other kind of standalone interviews, but I think what we're going to do now uh, is since since Barry and I have been collaborating for quite some time, we're going to pass the baton of interviews the standalone interviews over to Barry and his show, and we'll let you know about them here. Uh, we're trying to tie our shows a little bit closer together to make it more cohesive for you all. You know, I think Barry and I truly see this as a collaborative effort. And so we are going to start referring to 1202, the Human Factors podcast and Human Factors cast. We've already been doing it, but as sister podcasts, and we're going to start kind of um, just letting you all know what's going on over there and vice versa. Uh, so just to start us off, you know, Barry actually just interviewed friend of the show and past guest, Tony Andre, over on our sister podcast, 1202, the Human Factors podcast, uh, about a wonderful new initiative that he started up. Yeah, and Tony was absolutely brilliant. So he's got a back, an amazing background in building his own company. And I found um, a it quite inspiring because that's a, that's a similar sort of thing to what I've done. Um, but actually, he's done it really su successfully and really, really large. But because he's had this focus on healthcare, which is a domain that I've never really been involved with, I hadn't really considered just how much Human Factors was involved um, in what they were doing. So that was brilliant. But he also took the opportunity to announce that he's offering a some free Human Factors support to any company that is supporting the ALS community. So if any healthcare medical company out there is developing either drugs, support, that type of thing around ALS for personal, he's got personal reasons why he's doing that then he's offering that that free support. So if you want to know more about that, get yourself over to 1202 and listen to what he, to his story and why he's doing it and and then get in touch with him. Um, it was great. Really enjoyed it. Thank yeah. you very much for the referral. Yeah. Uh, speaking of healthcare symposium or healthcare in general, we are going to have some coverage of the healthcare symposium for you all. Stay tuned on that. Uh, like I said, we're finalizing some plans on that end with Tony Andre, of all people. Go figure. <laughs> anyway, we know why you're here. You're here for the news. So let's go ahead and get into it. That's right. This is the part of the show all about human factors, news, human, whatever I was going to say. Anyway, human factors, news. Barry, what do we have up this week? 
<laughs> this week's story is about how employers should nurture relation, uh, friendship and support amongst co-workers to unlock creativity. So employers who want to see the creative thinking in their workforce um, should value supportive friendships between colleagues as the key to unlocking more resourcefulness and innovation. The study from the University of Bath School of Management reveals that care from co-workers inspires people to be supportive to their partners at home, showing that co-workers have a significant role to play in enabling couples to cope with balancing the demands of work and family life. Employees take the support they receive from co-workers home with them, and in loving relationships, they transfer this support to their partner. This might mean that they encourage them to open up about stresses, to seek and resolve issues, or to make improvements to the juggle of work and uh, family life arrangements that benefit the family. Over and above the work policies or interventions by supervisors, it is informal support from co-workers that stands out as having the biggest impact on an individual's ability to manage their work-life balance, spilling over to benefit the partner at home and in turn, their own creative thinking at work. Research suggests organisations should give employees more flexibility to manage uh, caring cover with a a colleague without intervention from managers. The research also alerts employers to the pitfalls of working practice and expectation taking a a toll on home life, encouraging employers to be mindful of the detrimental impacts on relationships. Researchers acknowledge that there could be drawbacks in relying on co-workers for support with home and family matters, with partners at home potentially feeling jealous and upset about the closeness of work-spouse relationships. They suggest future research could examine the potential of this relationship dynamic to promote conflict at home. So Nick, how do you think that your work relationships affect your work-life balance? Uh, Generally, um, the, I don't know, I'm of two minds of this article and I'm going to briefly try to summarize them. On one hand, uh, I see the merit in in trying to foster relationships where people actually care about each other and um, that care being transferred over to personal life. I, I, I see that. Right. So like, you know, my my relationship with the people that I work with uh, is very supportive and understanding and flexible. Right. That's kind of the the tenants by we that we live by. Uh, we're all remote. And so if something needs to happen during the day. You know, we don't really need each other there to rely on as long as we kind of make the meetings that we're, you know, required to attend and we do the work that we're required to do. It's not a big issue. And so I think that definitely carries over into my personal life where um, that understanding from work uh, and and the people that I work directly with um, certainly carries over, you know, if I need to take care of my son or something while my wife goes to physical therapy or something like that. Right. So I, I, I get it. I understand. On the same note, I'm going to be a little bit critical here, and I'm going to say this is capitalism at its finest because what makes a a, a person uh, feel more comfortable at work is good for the company might not always be the best for the individual working there because, uh, you know, they might feel an allegiance, uh, some sort of belonging to that company and maybe not seek other opportunities that better serve their end goals. And so I'm, I'm going to be a little bit critical of like, you know, we're like a family here. You can't leave. Um, it's it's mm. a little bit manipulative. It's a little bit exploitive. And I do also I, I want to bring attention to that. But I, I do see the merit of like having it impact your your uh, home life, too. But, Barry, I'm I'm interested in what you think, because you run your own company. And and so, like, how do how are you approaching this? It this is such uh, an interesting thing, because I've sort of really seen it from both sides that 
if I'm part of a team and, you know, I'm not a senior manager of a team, I've just been, you know, just Barry, part of a team. If you've got some um, some friends that you get on with, I mean, you spend eight hours a day, you know, a significant portion of your waking time during the day with these people a lot 24-7. And if, that, if you don't have a good relationship, if there's an abrasiveness there, then that just makes eight hours a day really unpleasant. So I can see how from that negative approach that um, if you have a bad relationship at work, you then go home all grumpy and stuff and, and that can have can affect your whole life. I get all that. If you've got a really good relationship, that is really, really good as well. You can have a laugh, but I've seen it go too far. And I've, you know, when in my earlier career as well, I've seen it that I've been spent a lot of time thinking that I'm having a good laugh at work uh, with some good friends. But actually, I should have been more heads down getting prioritized into work and getting work done because as you say you're there for work to do for a specific reason so doing that it's, it's getting that balance right i think you yes having the support at, at work is a good thing and it, it, it i can you know if you've got a good work relationship then fantastic that will spill over on both sides because i i've struggled to see this work life balance i i i I don't like the phrase, I prefer work-life blend because there, you don't have two discrete bits. You, it's very difficult just to switch off from one and onto the other. As a manager um, and somebody who runs my own company, um, I can foster the right environment. I can have the breakdown barriers as much as I can, but you can't force this stuff. The only way that I think you can force it, you can, like I say, set the environment, you can have mindful recruitment so I don't just recruit people for the for a position. Um, right, have you got the skills? Yes, but I've also got to have at the back of my mind: Are you going to fit with the team that I've already got, or the, maybe the team I, I hope to make? Whatever you know, whichever perspective you're looking. So you can recruit him for that, but also the person you recruit is not the person you employ. Um, you go through interviews and all that sort of stuff, and no matter what happens, no matter how good your interview technique, the person that rocks up is not the same person that you interviewed. Um, they're going to be different. They're going to, um, and that could be positive or negative. So you've also got to be be able to work with that to a certain extent. So that's a really long way around going. Well, it depends. Um, but the, the yeah, I think this is. It's it, for me. It's another one of these articles that is saying that that sort of say it, it's putting some research behind stuff that we probably already knew um, and is already kind of there. Um, and I don't think there's actually that much we can do about it. If I'm being brutally honest. Yeah, I mean, anyway, right. show over, done. <laughs> yeah, that's it. All right, thanks everyone. Um, so, look, I think this is. If we didn't pick the story. You all picked the story. I think. I think. Uh, let's let's get that out of the way. <laughs> with that, with that, look, Just like it, it, it is an interesting. This mm. is really interesting when you when you really break it down from the science or psychology really behind workplace relationships. And I think there's a couple things that we can kind of say to level set this conversation. And we'll kind of look at the human factors and psychology behind uh, these workplace relationships as kind of a base. Uh, so, to, Like we normally do, we kind of look at these stories through a frame. And this is the frame this week, right? So like, let's let's level set here. You know, the, you, you mentioned that you can't force these things, but really the workplace is one of the few environments in which people are forced into these relationships, right? Yeah. Yeah. And so, you know, by their very nature, these environments in the workplace are made up by a bunch of people from a bunch of different backgrounds, diverse people, uh, many who might not actually have similar interests in real life, um, or some that might not be actually interested in meeting or socializing 
outside of the workplace. Like, like you said, you know, you can't force this thing. People are different when they show up. And a lot of times, you know, in interviews, you'll try to get like a, a, a personality fit as well to see mm-hmm. if they'll fit with the culture. And, you know, I think basically if we break this down, right. Um, thinking of from, from the company side, they're, a company's greatest asset is their employees. And I think, you know, anyone who thinks otherwise is uh, not running a great business. And so um, you have to approach this with the idea that not all these people are going to work together uh, at 100% all the time, right? There, there's going to be disagreements and there's going to be conflict. And so um, what you can do, obviously, is employ some of these some factors, psychology methods. And so, you know, we'll kind of break this down in. A couple chunks. I don't know. Do you, do you want to start with kind of what is is a positive relationship at work? Yeah, I mean, to sort of look at this high level. So psychologists have long identified that the desire to feel connected with others is a ba- you know it's a basic human need is what we do as people, and interpersonal relationships have a significant impact on our mental health, our health behavior, our physical health, and and mortality risk. So. We categorize uh, relationships in the workplace by cooperation, trust, and fairness. When we do that, the reward center of the brain is activated. Uh, It encourages future interactions that promote employee trust, respect, and confidence. And that means employees believe that the best in each other and really want to inspire each other into their performance. So to put that simply, when um, employees experience positive relationships, the body's ability to maintain, build, and repair itself is is improved both in and out of the workplace. So the psychology is there to sort of, again prove that positive relationships are, at work are a good thing. Do you want to dive into uh, why it's so important for a workplace? Yeah, and I'll just add to that last one. It kind of reinforces the point that we're talking about with the with the main article of today's show. You know, it, it's saying that if you bring home those positive experiences, those positive relationships, you're going to have a better home home life as well, because you're not kind of worried about the same stressors at work of dealing with people. So yeah, let's let's look at some of these positive interactions um, at the workplace and why it's so important, right? So, you know, you are um, sort of experiencing these varying and dynamic uh degrees of a relationship. You might have somebody that you really gel with and you could sit here and talk on a podcast for an hour and it's like you're talking to your best friend and, you know, shooting the shit, just talking a podcast. And then you have somebody else who it's just absolutely grating to work with and you got to slug through every meeting and you dread those meetings. So you're, you have the spectrum of quality of people that you work with. Um, and that's any interpersonal relationship that's outside of the workplace too. You know, obviously there are some people that you um, get along with better. Anyway, we're talking about just in the workplace here. Right. And so if you think about it at the sort of one extreme of the spectrum, the best side of things, right. Interactions can be um, source of enrichment. It can be uh, give you vitality that kind of helps you encourage um, individuals or groups or organizations really to uh, thrive and flourish as you know, as we're talking about in, in, with respect to this article, you also have, um, sort of these, these relationships are characterized as like a pursuit of rewarding and desirable outcomes, right? These at the best end of the spectrum and at the other end of the spectrum, the negative ones, right? You're kind of, um, these are characterized by thoughts of like being unwelcome or punishing, uh, to work with those types of people. And so when we think about positive interactions in the workplace, um, 
you know, it, it really does impact several things like job satisfaction. Um, it actually really increases, uh, or I guess it influences staff turnover, right? So the more uh, positive you see your coworkers or the, the more you see them like a family, this is kind of my criticism at the top of this, the less you're likely to turn over um, or, or have turnover within the company, right? So um, you know, the more support you get from your colleagues, the, the more likely you're going to stay there for a long time. There's also, you know, some of these positive interactions between supportive coworkers. They can actually help with um, clarifying some tasks or improve um, other people's individual uh, understanding of what their role is. And so the more, it, it all comes down to that communication piece. The more you can kind of, um, the, the more you can kind of communicate about uh, what you are doing in your workplace with somebody else that you're working with, the better your performance will be, right? And that's kind of ultimately what we're talking about here is how, uh, how, how these relationships can improve human performance when it comes to workplace. So let's talk about, um, we're, we're uh, sort of looking at positive interactions here still. These things are marked by trust, by mutual regard, active engagement, and interactions that are characterized this way can improve awareness of others, foster positive emotions, such as empathy, compassion, and increase the likelihood of trusting, respectful engagement between individuals. If it's not clear, I'm reading. This is uh, from a paper from Rosales 2016. Um, so go go take a look at that. But a lot of this is summarized in the statement that I just made. And, and with all these positive interactions, right, this can unsurprisingly leave uh, sort of a detrimental effect on um, an employee's well-being, uh, social relationships at work that are disrespectful or um, distrustful, kind of the other end of the spectrum, right? The the, the negative actor, so to speak, um, th they can have kind of the opposite impact there. Uh, and so, you know, the, the last couple points here is that the more time that we spend at work, um, we spend a lot of time at work. And so we have to really think about the relationships that we have with others in the workplace uh, to succeed. Um, and so I, I don't know. Is there anything else that you want to add to this kind of long winded explanation of positive interactions at the workplace? I guess there's just one sort of thing, I think, that we talk about a lot about positive relationships and productivity. Uh, sorry. Our, our own personal performance but what it doesn't actually hit on very much is productivity um because sometimes if everybody's having a good loving um as a team that doesn't necessarily mean you're being massively productive because actually sometimes having a negative actor um in the room as annoying as it can be can actually make you better at what you do um yeah. normally it's it's an inter-team thing to a certain extent so i've had it where i've been working with certain engineers and um, before they realize that I'm also an engineer and, and we, we, we come across as, you know, um, Satan's wrath and things like that. And it's, they're, um, they're like, what are you doing? Tell me what to do. And so that you almost have that playoff between each other where I was like, actually, I'm going to use this to make us better. Um, and so th there is a bit of a, you know, not necessarily all negative is bad, uh, but you just got to know how to use it. But I think there is a difference there between getting the productivity out of an organization and getting good cohesive team working, working together. Um, I mean, I think when you look at how to 
foster employee interaction. I think it's, as I said before, I don't think this is a thing you can, you can't force people to like each other, um, but you can create an environment that makes it more likely or at least give, give it the opportunities to do so, you know, giving people the opportunities to to actually chat with each other, to have a brew with each other, um, um, have, have coffee, tea, you know, have, have breaks with each other, eat together, that type of thing. Um, Relationship with colleagues were the number one contributor for employee engage, for employee engagement, with seventy seven percent of respondents listing that workplace connections are a priority for where you're at. Um, leaders and managers need to determine positive ways of engaging with them sort of relationships, and I've I've sort of been there before where I've worked in organisations where they're like, no, no, you don't need to do any of that. No motivation. I mean, a really good example. I, I had a team where I would go and give them, a, you know. A, couple of times a day, right? Everybody down what you're doing. Let's go to the kitchen, have a brew. Um, 10 minutes, just banter in the, in the coffee. And I, I got pulled aside by a senior manager said, you can't do that. They're, they're, they're not working. And that means they're not working hard enough. And, and, and I was like, well, not really. Cause we, we, we thrashing them to win within, within an inch of their lives. Um, this is my call. I want to do this. You can't do that. Okay. Doesn't mean, but I'll, I'll, be honest i think productivity will go down i think i don't think we'll get it get enough out of it um and yeah so we had a, had a long discussion around it and i think it's it's important to try and create it so yeah i think there's you you've got to work at it i think you've got to allow it to happen um basically removing the barriers that limit social interactions um and there's there's a whole swathe of what they can be um everything from um you know how you how you plan out an office, how you where you cite your teams and that type of thing, but you've also got to create opportunities um, for employees to engage with each other. And and again, there's a whole bunch of ways of making that happen. Everything from you know just having drop-in days, having um, breakout rooms that you encourage people to go and have coffees and things like that. So yeah, I think I think we, it's something that that does need to be done. Um, have you got any thoughts around? Uh, have you have you had a um, an employee interaction that you felt was too forced or um, that, you, that you didn't think was good enough or a really good example of good practice? So good, good questions. Um, yeah, my experience with this has been wide ranging. So I think when you build it into work, it works well. Like for me, I make a point to spend about 10% of my time. So if it's an hour long meeting, that's six minutes. Um catching up with the person and really starting to like develop a relationship with them. Right. So like, uh, and I think that's really important too, because then you come from a place of understanding with who you're working with. You understand kind of what is going on in their personal lives. It gives you awareness that if there is something going on in their personal lives, maybe give, give them a little slack. Right. Especially with the state of the world right now, I work at a global company. And so there's a lot of people affected by what's going on by world events. And so, um, you know, I might say, hey, look, like, it's totally fine. You don't need to get any. Nothing's urgent. Right. Like you take care of you first. It's something really important to do. So 10 percent of your time, I'd say as a good baseline, um, if you're working, you know, a 40 hour work week, uh, four hours a week, you know, that's yeah. that's a, seems like a lot of time from a productivity standpoint. But if you are kind of investing in those relationships, um, I think it's totally, totally worth it uh, in terms of my experience with this, like. It's like I said, when it when it happens at work, when it's built in, it is pretty great when it's yep. 
forced outside of work hours. Like, hey, let's go out for a, a happy hour afterwards. I'm like, well, I got a two hour commute. I got to get home. Like, mm-hmm. I don't I don't want to sit here because if I sit here, I, I leave early because I have a commute and I come in early because I have a commute. I don't want to sit here and like have to wait, you know, three hours in traffic instead of the normal one and a half. Like, let me go. And it it really kind of limits um your sort of interactions. Likewise, if you're on like a work travel, I don't know that that technically could all be considered work, but I don't know. Like if you're going to lunch with everybody, that's fine. But like drinks at night, I like it's fine. But at the same time, maybe I just want to sit in my hotel room. Don't put the, don't, you know, don't put the, uh, I guess stress on me to make that decision. Like, um, I don't know. It, It varies. And, you know, I could I could I could love the people that I'm hanging out with, uh, but just I don't I want to hang out in my hotel room. Like, can we just hang out in a hotel and hang out like I, I don't want to go out and do that. Like, uh, it just seems like a hassle. We got to find a Uber. We got to go find a bar. We got to, like you know, go go to the thing. And yeah, it could be fun. And it is fun most of the time. But again, like, what if I just want to hang out in the hotel room and watch, you know, the local news? Because that's something you don't get everywhere. Anyway, that's my that's my two cents. Yeah, no, I think you're actually right. And it's one of these things as well, especially if you're doing long term work with people. So yeah. you know, a bit, bit short term business, quick business trip, fine. Yeah, you go and do that, and maybe one night or something like that. And do that. But I went through a stage. I think it was five years. I was on on a secondment, and basically three nights a week we were expected to because I was with senior management. You know that they would go out and eat their best restaurants and all this sort of stuff, and I was expected to join them all the time. And I was like, well, okay, last night was fine. Tonight's getting a bit forced tomorrow night as well. Jeez. Week after week after week after week. And um, yeah, I, w- I felt like I was at work from, you know, we, I'd start uh, six o'clock in the morning and then you were out with them in the evening until, you know, 10 o'clock at night and then back at six, six o'clock in the morning. And you're like, wow, they're, they're full on days. But <laughs> as a, as a junior member, junior member at the time i was like well surely i have to do this if i'm going to go get to succeed them and i was like in hindsight i wish i just turned around and said you know what you you go and you you do you um i'm going to go and do something else but uh, but yeah well i mean yeah when you're junior too you have that fomo if you're missing out Mm. and it's like well do i i need to be there because i need to advance my career somehow so i need to make these connections and i need to i need to be there i need to show face and yeah you're right it's just like what are you missing um and so like I agree. And uh, I'm glad you said the dinners thing because it's like sometimes I just want to pocket my per diem and you know, like eat at yeah. McDonald's or whatever. <laughs> I don't want to eat fancy dinner with y'all. I want to just, you know. I mean, this is but this, this is um, a thing that I think we always put it on the on the employee or the, the junior person to say, oh, no, you should you should you should have the um, the guts to stand up and say, no, no, I don't want to go out tonight. It's fine. Actually, no, it's a leader's issue. Of, of highlight of realizing that maybe the person is there because they think that they have to be there to impress you not because um that they actually want to be there why don't you turn around and say look you guys go and do i'm going to go and do something else you guys go and have some time by yourselves do what, what it is that you want to do and let them do it they don't <laughs> they don't necessarily want to be there at your beck and call because they feel like they have to be there anyway right. I think i've done that to death <laughs> yeah so i mean i i think we talked a little bit about planning sort of these collaborative events, right? I mean, uh, my rule, like I said, was 10% of the time, if you build it into the work week, you know, an hour long social a week where you just kind of decompress. 
I think that could be really beneficial, you know, in the rest of the three hours, spend it, you know, at the beginning of meetings or something. Like I said, 10% doesn't take much. I think, you know, people will appreciate that too. Um, set aside that time for employees to interact. And you mentioned leadership. And I, do you want to talk about leading by example? Because you are a leader. Hopefully. <laughs> yeah, no, you're right. And it's, you have to do I think a lot of people think that the whole leadership thing, it's just a natural thing and people do it by osmosis and all that sort of stuff. You have to work at it. Nobody has, um, even me, I don't think I'm a perfect leader. I know that's hard to believe, but um, you know what I mean? It's it, You've got to work at it. You've got to be reflective and you get things wrong. Um, you've got to be able to go back and, and, and re, you know, actively be reflecting on what are people telling me, what are people saying and what are people actually actually saying what, what are they actually telling me do they actually want to come out and do stuff or not are they do they feel like they have to do it and, and things like that so um you've got to be you've got to be aware of your team um and it doesn't just happen yeah i don't know do we want to talk about the perma model i think it's it's kind of interesting uh so there's this model called perma p-e-r-m-a uh and it kind of hi highlights five of these critical elements for mental well-being Right. We talked about mental well-being a couple weeks ago. So this is a good tie in to that. I think it's good to have. Right. And so if you think about this from a from a business perspective, from a company perspective, from workplace perspective, you know, you can think about these leaders implementing something like this to have a positive culture that encourages that belonging. Um, and so when we talk about PERMA, it's an it's an acronym. It stands for positive emotion. That's the P. Then you have E is for engagement. And then you have uh, M is for meaning. A is for achieving accomplishment. There's a second P in there. Uh, so I don't I don't know. It's uh, <laughs> the five elements of the PERMA model are positive emotion, engagement, positive relationships, meaning and achievement or accomplishment. I'm not sure what the R is supposed to be. Relationships, maybe. Relationships um, and, of a positive nature. Yeah, there you go. There you go. So we just <laughs> improve the PERMA model. Can we can we get a source? Uh, get a paper on that. So so if you think about that and and sort of implement these things, making sure that people are happy at work, making sure they're engaged with others, making sure that they have positive relationships with the people that they work for, making sure that their work feels like they're working on something important. Uh, I think that's a big one, right? A lot of people kind of lose sight of what they're doing. Uh, and that you could really make a difference. Um, and then sort of achievement and an accomplishment, that is a whole separate conversation for a different time, but just making sure that people feel like they're accomplishing something or achieving some of their personal or professional goals. So um, what's the take-home message of all this, Barry? Fundamentally, any and every organization or individual can encourage decent, um, positive employee interaction by developing an inclusive workplace culture. And everybody can do that. Everybody can contribute towards that. Um, promote positive social interactions, um, social, uh, good workplace relationships. They can all be a, a source of individual and collective growth, learning and flourishing. You can foster the environment to make it happen. You can't force it to make it happen. Um, and you've, you've got to work with what you've got, keep your eyes open. And and it's, it's a live active thing. You it doesn't, you've got to work at it, um, but it can be done. And it's a good thing if you can make it happen. Yeah. So in terms of through the lens of this article of creativity at 
work at work, right? I think I think ultimately all these things that we just talked about are feeding into sort of the resourcefulness and innovation that this article is talking about. If you sort of have this support network at work, you are much more likely to sort of experience this these innovative ideas and uh, resourcefulness at work based on you know being comfortable with the people that you're working with. And I think. I think, you know, we, that makes sense, right? I mean, we we talked about, um, I feel like we talked about this a while ago, right? D- does uh, sort of what is, what fosters innovation, right? And we ultimately, mm-hmm. what ultimately uh, it comes down to is this leadership. And I think a lot of that comes with interpersonal relationships at work, right? Uh, for everyone's reference, what I'm talking about here is episode 224. We're talking about specifically remote working, fostering innovation, but really that whole conversation was about leadership. So go listen to that one if you're interested in that conversation. Um, Barry, any closing thoughts on on workplace relationships as it relates to creativity or anything like that? I think that what you just said is absolutely true in that um, if you do this right, then yes, it can promote creativity and, um, and innovation. However, if the roles aren't creative or innovative, then you're not going to get anything for free. It doesn't create it. It just it fosters it and it allows it. It doesn't trap it. So, yes, go make yeah. it happen. Thank you to our patrons and everyone who voted on Twitter uh, for selecting our topic this week. And thank you to our friends over at the University of Bath once again for our news story this week. If you want to follow along, we do post the links to all the original articles on our weekly roundups. You can find those on our blog. You can also join us on our Discord if you want to talk more about these topics and how your workplace experience has been thus far. We're going to take, to take a quick break and we'll be back to see what's going on in the Human Factors community right after this. Human Factors Cast brings you the best in Human Factors news, interviews, conference coverage, and overall fun conversations into each and every episode we produce. But we can't do it without you. The Human Factors Cast Network is 100% listener supported. All the funds that go into running the show come from our listeners. Our patrons are our priority, and we want to ensure we're giving back to you for supporting us. Pledges start at just $1 per month and include rewards like access to our weekly Q&As with the hosts, personalized professional reviews, and Human Factors Minute, a Patreon-only weekly podcast where the hosts break down unique, obscure, and interesting Human Factors topics in just one minute. Patreon rewards are always evolving, so stop by patreon.com slash humanfactorscast to see what support level may be right for you. Thank you, and remember, it depends. Yes, huge thank you, as always, to our patrons and everyone who supports the show, especially our honorary Human Factors cast staff patron, uh, Michelle Tripp. Patrons like you keep the show running. Thank you so much for your continued support. Uh, I want to take a little detour. We mention this from time to time because our treasurer likes to get on me about what we sort of, I don't, this isn't really an advertisement. This is like letting you all know what we have. Um, We, they gave me a script. I, I read this script every time because I just, uh, I don't know. <laughs> Do you know we have a merch store? Some neat designs over there that includes <laughs> It Depends shirts, a show logo. Uh, I'm not wearing the hoodie, but it's, uh, you know, it's the logo and you can get it on a hoodie. <laughs> other other cool designs based in human factors culture. Do you want to support the show and look good doing it? Check out the Human Factors Cast store. But seriously, though, I mean, I, th- we do have some cool designs out there. Um, 
one of my favorites is I'm going to human factors the shit out of this, uh, you know, referencing <laughs> the Martian. Uh, and so you can you can check out all the designs. We have a link to our store on our website. That's humanfactorscast.media. Uh, you can also just go and, and search for human factors cast store. Um, there's some cool stuff on there. I'm, I'm looking through now. Uh, the it depends shirt is is always a favorite. You got uh, human factors cast polos. You got an apron. Um <laughs> I feel like one of these days you and I should just wear aprons uh, and nothing else. And that would sell the video part of this show. Um, Open up an OnlyFans and and call it. (laughs) Uh, Also looking through some of these designs. Oh, yes, we have our favorite. I can't even believe I forgot this. We put our favorite review uh, as a a post on. um, So you can actually wear our favorite review of the show. Uh, as merchandise. Uh, cool. And just for everyone's awareness, the review reads as such, like so, like you like, and like so. If you want to listen to a couple sophomoric boring bros drone on, this is for you. That some of these guys could in any way represent human factors as a profession is truly terrifying. So that is our favorite review. Please go uh, support the show by buying merch of that review. Um, we love that review. And if you if you disagree with that review, please leave us one that <laughs> doesn't say that. <laughs> <laughs> yes. that'll really help the show anyway if let's move do, on you, say if you do agree with it move on uh, yeah <laughs> yeah if you do move move along uh otherwise <laughs> i think it's time that we get into this next part of the show we like to call it came from it came from all right let's switch gears and get to it came from this is where two sophomore bros break down all over the internet <laughs> Look all over the internet to bring you topics uh, that uh, the community is talking about. If you find any of these answers useful, give us a like wherever you're watching uh, to help other people find these answers. So the first one tonight is, uh, how do you know that Human Factors is for you? We're starting off with uh, one from the Human Factors subreddit. This is by uh, Ham S. Shalove. Ham Love. I'm going to say that wrong. I'm really sorry. Uh Hello, everyone. Are there any sort of indicators or experiences you've experienced in your duration of study or at work when you realized human factors was the field for you? And I think one thing, Barry, that we can do here is kind of like, what is our origin story? What got us into the field? You know, that kind of thing, Um, because we host a podcast on human factors and we realize it every week. I don't know. (laughs) When did you discover human factors and when did you realize it was for you? So... I didn't realize it, but I I first discovered human factors when I was doing my uh, com- degree in command and control engineering when I was doing a module on UI design. And um, and I was like, it just felt like it was so intuitive to me that I kind of knew where things should go, what things should do, and what a decent UI should look like. Um, so that was my s- first sort of exposure to it. But I think where it really came from was after I was my first industrial job where I actually went into a, an aerospace company to be a, um, a software engineer in their um, cockpit group um, for, for this aerospace company. So they were doing future UI designs and I was just there to to code them up. Um, and I was sort of get, then getting into, so I was, you know, I was one of two software engineers and the um, the rest of the team were doing design and all that sort of stuff. And I was like, oh, I'm really into this. And I was like coming up with my own designs for interfaces and realizing that they weren't completely stupid. Um, but the more I was learning, the more I was like, oh, this is, you know, learning more about physiology and, and all that and the psychology behind how things work and even little things like how to design things for colorblindness and, and all that sort of stuff. It was all just sort of coming together. And I was like, 
this is it. I, I need to, everything that I've been doing today has just been, felt like turning the handle, whereas this felt inspirational. And and so I spoke to my line manager at the time, a um, an awesome lady called Alison Starr. Um, and I was like, I, 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 what is this? What is this human factor stuff you talk about? Um, what is the breadth of it? And she's like, well, if you're wanting to learn more about it, you know, I could mentor you a bit. And, and so we did that. Um, and then it kind of then accelerated from there. I got made redundant from that role. Um, the entire human factors piece got made redundant, not just me. Um, and then I went to um, another company where I actually just went and applied there as human factors and and as a in, into the human factors department, into their research department. And they were like, yes, but I'd been working with them already. So so they knew me and knew that um, what my background was, et cetera. And they're like, oh, yes, of course, come, come along. And then stuck with them for eight years and just learned and hoovered up information and bags and bags of just broad experiences, all uh, dabbling in the human factors domain and um and then yeah it, it was sort of, it, but it was that it, i think it was that moment of knowing that actually what i was looking at was just intuitive to me was something that it just made sense that whereas i, I could code i could do all that sort of stuff that was fine but i was kind of doing it because i felt i should and, and i had to whereas developing this design work develop, and thinking about how people would interact with it would just seem to be like well duh um and it was almost a shock when you then look at other people and go, well, why don't you think like this? Isn't this just common sense? And then that's the, that's the sparkle moment of actually, yeah, common sense isn't ubiquitous. Um, it's just common sense. Yeah. So I wonder where I've seen that. Yeah, quite. <laughs> um, so well, it depends where you look, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah. Um, what about you? Wait, when did you get that sparkle of um, the human factors was the thing? Yeah, I want to I want to mention something because you mentioned mentorship and I do want to kind of, again, call out our discord. Um, there's a lot of us in there kind of uh, that are willing to provide mentorship. And like, seriously, I'm I'm happy to provide that for anyone who wants to. I can take a few people under my wing and kind of tell you how the real world is and all that stuff. Um, please reach out to us on uh, the, the discord or anything like that. Like it, it's it's one professional joy that I get a lot of thing, uh, a lot of satisfaction out of. Anyway, with that out of the way, um, I've told this story before on the show, but I think it bears repeating because uh, not everybody listens to every episode. So for me, kind of the thing that I thought uh, was the moment it clicked was, you know, I went to grad school for something very different than human factors. I went because I wanted to study VR and our perception of virtual environments and um, use kind of cognitive psychology to understand that. And the person that I wanted to work with was in a human factors graduate program. And so a lot of my training and skill set came from kind of the periphery of what I was studying at the time. And for me, the moment came when, you know, in undergrad, I was interacting with a lot of people who wanted to go the clinical route. And there were very few kind of cognitive people in that group. And I was more of a social uh, psychology, you know, perspective at that time. And I still carry a lot of that with me today, obviously with messaging and communication. Uh, and so, uh, for me, it was when I got to my graduate program and a lot of people were speaking the same language as me. Um, and I'm not just talking about English. I'm talking about, you know, I could say, uh, terminology that I, that maybe others in undergrad wouldn't understand, right. Something like, um, like IPD and interpupillary distance, by the way, uh, for, for 
you know, the things that I was studying and people would just understand. I didn't have to stop and explain it to them. Yeah. Um, and I had done, you know, some preliminary research on human factors before I had got there. I thought, yes, this is interesting. But when I got into that program, that's when I was like, okay, you know, this is this is awesome. And I might not need to do our VR or I could do, you know, VR in that space. But um, so so for me, it was like when people started speaking my same language and uh, that was really when I was like, okay, yes, this is this is it. This is the thing I want to do because <laughs> people are talking uh, in a way that is, you know, I, I, I don't sound crazy over here like the psychologist uh who's who's trying to explain human behavior because they just get it um mm -hmm. and the fact that i could you know sit and chat with all of them and and they got excited about it and i got excited about it by turn in turn you know i think that's what did it for me um all right let's move on to this next one here this one is is an undergraduate certificate in human computer interaction worth it this is from the hci subreddit this is by jer underscore a what is the likelihood that I would be able to get a job with the undergraduate certificate? I work in the veterinary research field and have an associates, but I'm considering switching career fields. Currently employed by a university that offers an undergraduate HCI certificate and my tuition would be discounted. So I figured it might be advantageous to pursue. I'm also considering taking a web mobile development bootcamp. Should I pursue that over an HCI certificate? Uh, Barry, what's your thoughts on... Uh, certifications and degrees and uh, boot camps and all that stuff. Let's let's kind of use that as the frame. Yeah, I think it. Well, that, where, where's the button? It depends, doesn't it? it? What is he? What does he want to do? What do you want to be when you grow up? Um, does it? But fundamentally, does the content of the HCI course um, excite you? If it excites you, do it. If you think it's just there and it, oh, it's boring and but I'll get a certificate at the end of it, don't do it because it's not for you. Um, if if you're doing it just to as a, as an addition and you it could be vaguely interesting then then crack on but i think certificates and that are really you know basically the whole degree course all that sort of stuff doing a um i would say a formal approach to human factors and and all you know in, in its entirety um certainly getting the good academic grounding is is really good it's really advantageous there is um if you know it's what you want to do in the future then it will save you a lot of time learning after the fact learning on the job is great but it's not, I think there is, if you can have some of them, them underpinning concepts, it saves you a lot of time in the long term. That said, um, I did none of that. Um, all of my work has been picked up on the job, um, pretty much, and on basically my own self-study and practicing thing. So it's possible. And, and now I run my own company doing it. So I clearly haven't messed it up that much. So whilst I think if you've got the opportunity to do it and being a human factors person and particularly an HCI person, um, I, I'm, I'm quite partial to designing the odd interface. Um, that's where my love lies. If I don't, if I had the opportunity to do that when I was younger, I would give it, <laughs> going back in time, knowing what I know now, I would absolutely go, go ahead and do it. Um, but you've got to, you've got to do you, um, at this point in time, you don't know what you're going to do in the future. Go with what, go with what, what, what inspires you? What what drives you a bit? Um, if it's inspiring, do it. If it's not, don't force yourself because there's absolutely no point. Nick, tell me, tell me I'm wrong. Do, do, what, what, what approach would you like? Jeez. Uh, so look, I'm uh, I'm going to say this. I'm I'm a little critical of boot camps. Um, I think in a way they could they could be a good way to get your feet wet 
so to speak, if you are interested in it and want to experience some of what that is like, that could be a good opportunity for you. Although I do struggle with that a little bit because I th- this is this is my opinion, uh, and. I think the boot camps are created by people who want your money because they want you to take the quick and easy route, which by the way, there is none um, to, to get to the place that you want to be. And is that going to take place at school? I mean, like you could certainly get the experience at a job that, you know, on the job experience, that is one way to go about it. You'd also frame your research, your research in the vet field, right. About like, you know, you've, you've done work, you've done human factors, but for pets, like there's, there's ways to like frame it. And, you know, you could under, you could, I don't know, you could spin it to the point where you could almost get a job depending on how you spend your research or your, your past experience. Look, my, my ultimate point here is I'm critical of boot camps. Uh, they're a great way to get your feet wet, but not the end all be all for, um, for training. And I think, you know, you're talking about one weekend versus many, many months and years of of uh, school or on the job experience. I think there's a very different uh, skill set that you get from both of those. Right. And so you might take several boot camps and be down several thousand dollars. Uh, but, you know, other people <laughs> who have names in the field are much more richer because they've taken your money. So I don't I don't know. Um, like. That's kind of my thoughts on it. Uh, so you can join my boot camp uh, starting next week. And, uh, in podcast technology and stand online for as long as you can. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> um, anyway, that's that's my two cents on it. Uh, the last one here. Uh, what What's the best and worst UX you've experienced this week and why? This is by Nasdaqian on the user experience subreddit. Uh, they, they have provided examples here. Um, there, theirs was uh, covidtest.gov. Uh, it was sort of the uh, easiest government site they had ever used. Two steps, less than 30 seconds to complete their goal. Uh, the worst was uh, HBO Max. Uh, the information hierarchy is awful and incredibly difficult to change seasons and episodes, especially when already viewing one. So, Barry, what is your favorite UX uh, you've experienced this week? And what is your least favorite? I think my favorite has to be, hmm, what is my favorite? Actually, my favorite has to be my washing machine this week, which I'm moving from one place to another. And actually the ability to switch it off, unhook it, get it all squared away was surprisingly simple. Um, more simple than I've, I've seen previous ones done before. So that was fine. The The worst one I've done this week is I've been playing around with some electronic devices and trying to code buttons up into them and things like that and and finding that element of doing the coding. I mean, granted, I haven't touched coding in a while, but this wasn't true coding. It was quite simple. But just the um, there were some frustrating elements to it where the the intuitiveness was lost. Um, I would put a slight third one in there um, on a negative, which is which I'm going to throw at Amazon Prime. Um, because every time you, when you watch a series on Amazon Prime, that you have to put the um, put your pin code in for the age restriction. And if you're on Netflix, you just put it in once and it, it goes and streams your thing. With Amazon Prime, you have to put it in every single time, and that's really irritating. Um, so that's annoying. Um, what about you? What's what's your <laughs> today? What's your best and worst um, mm. uh, UX that you've uh, experienced? 
Uh, the I, I I'm gonna this is gonna be a couple weeks uh span, so it's not just today or this week, but I'm gonna do a couple weeks, right? So, um, I will say for my dentist, I was able to fill out all my information ahead of time and type it all up, uh, and really sort of just get ahead of the curve and you know f- fill out all that information ahead of time, typing it up, which cool. great. By contrast, went to the dentist with my son this morning, and my wife had to write out everything manually. So I didn't experience it, but I saw her hand cramping. And um, so I'm going to go with that. I'm going to go with the ease of being able to type up ahead of time everything that you need to put in information wise uh, and not have to. It's uh, that's kind of the best and worst I've experienced this week. And it's very convenient to have everything kind of uh, sent to you in a link where you can just fill it out. Um, (laughs) Very different experiences. All right, uh, let's get into this last part of the show. Needs no introduction. It's just one more thing. Barry, what is your one more thing this week? So my one more thing this week, I went on holiday last week, which was amazing. But the really frustrating thing was we had this hob and cooker system that just took forever to use. It was com- compiled with long presses, short presses. You, it was There was no continuity between where you had to uh, press it. It was like sort of a glass touchscreen thing. Um, and fundamentally, you, I just couldn't help thinking. Go on. Yeah, you you posted this in Discord. I was going to say because I put it on Discord to try and um, see if I was just going mad and whether other people had had it. Um, but it it was just this idea, and I guess fundamentally, all it got me thinking to all the appliances in my kitchen. Notwithstanding what I just said about the um, um, washing machine and hooking, um, but fundamentally, a lot of the these appliances they just don't seem to have human factors or UX people involved. You seem to have such a combination of weird push buttons and some, you know, the combination of stuff you have to do. There seems to be no continuity between either on the machines themselves or across kitchens, uh, with, the, with I guess, I guess a couple of notable exceptions. But, um, yeah, why don't appliance manufacturers employ UX people? And if you do, why are you not doing more about this? Because I'm finding it very frustrating. Thank you for that. Oh. Uh, that, that was my little bit of therapy. Nick, what about you? Wow. <laughs> Put, putting those appliance companies out on blast. Um, well, we, we talked a little bit about this in the pre-show. Uh, I've had a couple really busy days over the last like week and a half and um, met with some challenging technical issues as well as some other things in my personal life. And so uh, I'm going on my own holiday this weekend, um, taking an extended weekend. Woo! Four days. I mean, it's not much, but it's like well needed. Um, you know, I, I think it's just... I don't really have anything else to say other than, wow, uh, sometimes just things are rough. And I'm glad that we've fixed the technical issues. And I'm happy to say that because we're here at the end of the show. And that's it for today, everyone. If you like this episode and enjoy some of the discussion around uh, especially innovation and fostering creativity at the workplace, I'll encourage you all to go listen to episode 224, Does Remote Working Foster Innovation? Uh, You can comment wherever you're listening with what you think of the story this week. We're into that in-depth discussion. We'll invite you to our Discord community where we can uh, talk uh, ad nauseum about some of these issues. You know, you can always visit our official website, sign up for our newsletter, stay up to date with all the latest Human Factors news. If you like what you hear, you want to support the show, you can leave us a review. Don't say it's two sophomoric bros just talking about and that we're, you know, sorry excuses of Human Factor professionals. You can always do that. You can leave. (laughs) Or do, I don't know, it'll give us another shirt idea. Uh, 
You can tell your friends about us. Uh, that helps the show grow. You can always consider supporting us on Patreon. That really helps the show because it helps pay for the stuff behind the scenes. Uh, and as always, links to all of our socials and website are in the description of this episode, along with 1202, the Human Factors podcast. I want to thank Mr. Barry Kirby for being on the show today. Where can our listeners go and find you if they want to talk about creativity? If you want to talk about creativity, come find me on Twitter. I'm at Baz underscore K. Or come listen to my latest murmurings on 1202, the Human Facts Podcast. As Nick says, it's 1202podcast.com. As for me, I've been your host, Nick Rome. You can find me across social media at Nick underscore Rome. Thanks again for tuning into Human Factors Cast. Until next time. It depends. Spacecraft, railway locomotives, nuclear submarines, healthcare, jet aircraft, these are all examples of highly technical systems and organisations, and all have one particular thing in common. They all involve humans. Humans who want to do amazing things and are using technology to achieve them. They all have something else in common. They have amazing people ensuring that the users who are involved can do what they need to do, are safe when they do so, and have the optimum user experience. These people are Human Factors practitioners, and on 1202, the Human Factors podcast, they talk to me, Barry Kirby, about what they do, sharing their career paths, highlighting their ideas and best practices, and fundamentally raising awareness of our discipline. Find us on 1202podcast.com, on social media, and on your favourite podcast directory, because it's more than just common sense.